had someone come to me recently and said, Brother Myers, there are some verses in the Bible that I don't understand what it is, what it means, and how it how it can be properly understood. And uh, so I told that individual I'd try to deal with a few of them. And so tonight I'm going to uh, take on one of them and talk to you here on a scripture that may be difficult for us to grab a hold of immediately until we know more about it and so forth. So I'm going to teach on the subject here tonight, in-depth understanding of Bible scriptures. In-depth understanding of Bible scriptures tonight is particularly a couple of them that I'm going to refer to, one in particular that I'll spend most of the evening on. And uh, we get it uh, focused in on here, and then I'll bump it up a little bit. All right, this is what our lesson is on is here tonight. And I'll hit that focus again, make sure it's focused good. Now, everybody get your feet in, buckle your seat belt, and hold, hold on to your bonnet tonight. Because I'm going to talk to you about some things here that uh, some of you may be familiar with, some of you may not be. But I'm going to have you go to begin with here to Second Peter 3, 3.16. I'm going to read 15 and 16, maybe even 17 with that verse. This is Second uh, Peter 3. This is the Apostle Peter writing his last epistle shortly before he was executed. And he was writing to the church. I'm going to read the, the 15th verse to identify what the 16th verse is talking about here. 15th verse says, An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul. So Peter writing here is talking about the apostle Paul here. So he said, Even our beloved brother Paul, also accounting to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. In other words, what I'm saying, uh, Paul has written unto you as well. And he said, I'm simply confirming what he said, and he's confirming what I believe as well. Then he goes on to say here in the 16th verse, As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest or they wrestle with, as they do also other scriptures unto their own destruction. What he's saying here that some people read the verse and they don't understand it and they go off on a deep blue yonder somewhere not understanding the word of God. So he says in verse 17, Ye therefore, beloved, uh, seeing ye know these things, before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Now, <clears throat> I want to talk to you a little bit about it because there's a certain verse of Scripture that I'm going to get into here tonight and talk to you about that's come to us. And I want you to turn with me on the very next uh, Scripture that I've got mentioned here, and that is... Uh, uh, Genesis 126, and this is the verse that we're going to be looking at and talking about here a little bit and trying to get a handle on it, understand it. 
<clears throat> so Genesis 1.26, and it's in the very first chapter of Genesis. Everybody with me there? It simply says this, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over all the fish of the sea. After our likeness, let us make man our image. After our likeness, let them have dominion over all the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle so forth and so forth. The point that I'm bringing out to you here and the one that's brought out many times to us is the fact that the Lord says here, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So the question is, if God is only one, who is he talking to? We know he's not talking to the angels because the angels never helped God make man. It had nothing to do with it. I can show you scriptures in Isaiah to show that, where God alone made the human race and mankind. <clears throat> so the question comes up, <clears throat> who was God talking to? And let us make man. It's a plural sense. It's a plural. There's three times it said that, too. It says here, let us, us, that's plural, make man in our image after our likeness. So it's not just one time, but it's three times. And it's stated here, and it's not been words that have been added there by the translators who may have added it thinking that was the way it should be. But it is actually the scriptures that are put there. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what this is and how it, uh, and, and, and what was said. To understand <clears throat> this, I want you to understand that the people who look at this verse and believe in it like it is, they believe that there's a trinity. Now, let me explain to you here what uh, this trinity thing is all about. I'm not going to get in, well, I'm going to get into a little detail on it here because this is what it's all about. And the Trinitarians, and this is the belief of many church denominations and many Christians, ironically, ironically, denominations, to a great extent, will have it in their bylaws that they support and believe in what's called the Trinity Doctrine. It's amazing how many of their people really don't believe it that way. It's amazing. Among Christians, they don't believe it or believe it. And so forth. That's why they also baptize in the titles. You know, we're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, because they say there's three persons in the Godhead. So what they actually believe, and I'm just going to draw a little old uh, Bishop Myers picture up here for you. If I can do it like this. They believe there's God the Father. God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. All right? This is the Father, this is the Son, this is the Holy Ghost here. I'm initialing them. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. And they were three separate and distinct persons. They believe that. This is the Trinitarian belief. And that whenever Genesis 1.26 is recorded here, the Father here said to the Son... Go ye down into the world. You know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Gave him means he gave him to the world to be crucified and to pay the price of on Calvary that we might be saved. So this is what they believe, and they believe that the Father sent the Son to the world. And I'll talk to you more about that toward the end of our lesson. The Father sent the Son, and so forth. 
And uh, so they believe that there is a trinity element. Now, this is the trinity doctrine here. I'm going to put on the board here. And uh, this is, can be found in history books and things of this nature. And uh, it says there are three separate and distinct persons. This is, I know you don't have a copy of that. But it reads there, there are three separate and distinct persons in the Godhead. This is what the Trinity Doctrine says. This that I have right here was taken off of a church up in St. Augustine a number of years ago when I was in a denominal church of some type that believed in the Trinity, and they call this the Trinitarian Creed. I'll talk to you about the Creed in just a moment. But they believe that this Creed is what this is the whole thing's all about. And so this was their Trinitarian Creed, or it's called originally called the Athanasian Creed, and I'll explain why that's called that. And it's, but there are three separate distinct persons in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent. Co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent. Never was there a time that one was before the other. Never shall there be a time that one shall be after the other. They're co. There is no place that one is that the other is not, nor is one greater than the other. Neither is there anything known to one that is not known to the other. This is what they say that God is in these three persons. Three separate and distinct persons. Remember that. The Holy Trinity goes on to say the Holy Trinity, and first of all, the word Trinity is not even found in the Bible. There is no Holy Trinity. God was never referred to as a Trinity. The word Trinity is not a Bible word. Anyhow, they say the Holy Trinity is equally omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient. Omnipresent means they're equally everywhere. Uh, omnipotent, they're equally all power, and omniscient, they're equally all knowing. So I'm just pointing that out to show you here that this is the creed of the Trinitarian doctrine, and it was established way back originally. Originally, it was established in the early church in the uh, in, in ancient Babylon, and by Nimrod and his wife. I won't get into all the details on that. But uh, a number of years ago, I made a, this is a three-page document here that I put together that is called The Origin of the Trinity Doctrine. And uh, it's got three pages of information where it came from, how it all began back there. This is all taken out of history books. I have church history books, folks, that would just about cover this table here if you like, set them side by side. You know, I've read read all of them all the way through, but I've read segments of all of them just about. And uh, I'm just telling you here that this is where the, the, this so-called trinity started. Well, what happened was that when the early church and the apostles had finally passed away, and they, they baptized in Jesus' name, they believed that G- God was one and Jesus Christ was God, and they baptized in the name of Jesus. And for our for a hundred years, the early church baptized that way. But there were, there were church leaders who began to come into the faith. Now, hear me closely on this. And this is brought out in part two here. I won't get into all of that. But this is the origin of the Trinity doctrine, part two. And this talks about how that the Trinity doctrine of the ancient pagan world. 
They had it in Babylon. They had it in Egypt. They had it in Greece. They had it in Rome. Uh, you name it. Anywhere that they had these, poly, these polytheism, poly means many, many theism, many gods, beliefs, it was just about all over the whole world except the Jews. And the Lord said, Hero is the Lord our God is one Lord. And I'll give you some scripture on that in a few moments here. But the whole world was following this thing. Now, whenever the early church began to, uh, to be formed and the apostles who had begun preaching the gospel and baptizing them in Jesus' name and being filled with the Holy Ghost, when that, the apostles moved off the scene, they were either died or they, well, all, the 12 apostles were all martyred. And there are others that were martyred behind them. Some of them just lived out their full life. I think uh, John, John, uh, yeah, lived on out to the end. I think was the one that did, that lived on out to the end. He died around right at 96 A.D. I think it was. Anyhow, I'm just pointing out to you here that these people that came in after them were influenced by philosophies from these other pagan religions. Uh, there were men who believed that the Greeks had an edge on everything because they had so much wisdom. I can show you in the Bible where Paul condemns all of that. You know, he condemns it. And I can show you an old chapter in the Bible where God condemns the wisdom. And he talks about the wisdoms of the Greeks and everything. The Romans had that military might and power and they had that uh, legalistic authority over the then known world. But the Greeks had that effect of being all wise and all knowing, and they had these Greek philosophers they followed. You know, the, the, you know, they, you've studied all that stuff back in when you're in school. You know that all of these Greek philosophers. Some of these men who came into the Christian faith had a background in Greek philosophy, and they they literally stated that they believed that some of the Greek philosophers were as ordained of God. In their day, as the prophets were ordained of God in the Old Testament and in the Jewish faith. They believed that. So they began to adopt some of these old theories and bring them in. And sooner or later, they were introducing things and beliefs and taking scriptures and trying to put it together. So they came up with this thing. God was uh, three persons and so forth. They eventually developed what was called... Uh, a creed. I have a book here called The People of the Creed. What happened to that early church, and it says here, the story behind the early church at the top. The story behind the early church. Well, that's not the apostolic church. That was a church that followed the apostolic church. And they became a people of the creed. They started, they put together a, a, a creed and said, this is what we believe. And so that so-called early church then were a people who were a people of the creed, not of Christ, not a, not a people of the Bible, not a people of the book. In fact, they eventually condemned the Bible because people would look at it and say, this is not the way we're living and what we're doing and what we believe. And so they said, well, you don't understand it. Don't even try to read the Bible. You don't understand it. You've got to have it read for you and pass along to you what it means. You understand what I'm saying? And the, the Nicene Council in 325 A.D., they all got together under Constantine's influence, who was the emperor at that time, and he had turned to Christianity. And he said, I want all of you to get together, all you Christians, and come together on one focused belief. And that's where they came up with the uh, Nicene Creed. 
And uh, it was the Trinitarian doctrine, and it was adopted from a man by the name of Athanasius. Athanasius was a man who had put together the Trinitarian creed. And uh, he said that this is, and this is what we've been looking at right here, the Trinitarian creed. He put it together, and when it was all said and done, then they adopted that, and they, uh, they uh, adopted uh, Athanasius's creed called the Ath- Ath- uh, Athanasian creed. And then later it was just simply termed the, the Trinity Creed or the, treed, the, the Creed of the Church. And so it became what everybody was to be focused on and to follow. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Now, before I get into Genesis 126 and explain that to you, and the, and the explanation is right in the Bible, right in the Scripture, and I'm going to give them to you in a minute. Let me show you something. I want you to go here. I'm going to... Uh, I'm going here to, uh, i just talked to you about the background of the Trinity Doctrine. I'm going here to, to go, go to B here. Look at part B here. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 35. Deuteronomy 4, 35. I'm just going to refer to a few scriptures in the Old Testament. Look at this profoundly now. I'm just going to refer, I'm going to go down the line here and, and take and those scriptures. I know there's a lot of them, but I'm going to go through it real fast. Everybody with me? Yep. All right. Hang on to your bonnet on this one. He says here now in chapter 4, verse 35, Unto thee it was showed that thou mightest know that the Lord, he is God. There is none else beside him. All right. states it there. Now, if you've got your Bible and you're following me with your Bible... Put a ring around these verses or underline those, that's part, that portion of the scripture. Look at verse 39. Know therefore this day and consider it in thine heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath. There is none else. None else. Okay. I'm going to jump. And, well, let me just turn the page and give, give you one more here. This is Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy might. Now I'm going to go to Isaiah. Isaiah. And uh, this is a section in Isaiah where in four chapters he spells out this truth just over and over and over again. So I want you to look with me, if you would, in Isaiah 42 and 8. 42 and 8, I'm... Now in Isaiah here. Everybody still with me? 42.8. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another. I'm going over here to 43 and 10. You're my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. So if Jesus Christ is our Savior, it's this one God of the Old Testament. Everybody still with me on that? Going a little bit further here, I'm looking at chapter 40, 44, and verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the his being referring to Israel, Israel's redeemer. Understand that's what he's talking about here. 
Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel and Israel's Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. This is the same thing that the Lord said to John on the Isle of Patmos when he appeared to him in the book of Revelation. I am the first and the last. And I'm the beginning and the ending. And the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and ending, and so forth. Look at the eighth verse. We're moving on here. Eight. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. And not I told thee from the time from the declared it. Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. Now, these are all verses of Scripture that confirm what we're talking about. Look at the 24th verse of that 44th chapter. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spirit that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. In other words, there's nobody else. Look at chapter 45. 45 and uh, verse 5. I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee and, through, and though thou hast not known me. Verse 6. That they may know from the rising of the sun and from the, and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. I'm just giving you some scriptures here, folks, to just really let you know this is so emphatic in the Word of God. And I can show you in history books where with the Nicene Council, when they finally chose the Trinity concept as being the authentic doctrine and creed of the Christian church at that time, this is actually fallen away from the Apostles' Doctrine, that when they had accepted all of that, they... And they admitted that they had not considered and looked at scriptures in the Old Testament that that were that belonged to the to the Jews. And one of the reasons is because Israel as a nation had fallen in 70 A.D. and they were a people that were scattered and their influence had no longer existed. So later on, they never even looked at the Old Testament. They said, "Oh, these people they're not they're not anybody anymore. They're nobodies." Now, I'm going to read a little bit further here. I'm reading the, uh, the fifth and sixth verse. Look at verse 18. Verse 18. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. Now, I'm going to read verse 21 here. Look at verse 21. And uh, I'm going to read these two verses, and then we're going to go to one other in 45, 6, and then we're going to finish this up here. Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together who hath declared this from ancient times. Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord, and there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Verse 22, look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. And then one other verse here that I'll look at, 46, 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. You say, Brother Myers, you have bored us to death in reading those scriptures. Well, I intended to do that, but I wanted to show you how emphatic 
that the Bible declares, this is just in, just in four chapters of, of Isaiah, just in those four chapters and, and two over in Deuteronomy. I, I, you may go ahead and spend all night reading a lot of the others. <laughs> we won't do that. Bore, I'd really bore you to death. But what I am trying to say here is the Bible declares God to be one. Praise the Lord. And he's emphatically one. And so this is what we are trying to bring out to you here so that we can get back to our main point here. So, understanding Genesis one twenty six, understanding Genesis one twenty six. So, the Trinitarian, the Trinitarian, because he believes that God is three separate, distinct persons in the Godhead, co-equal, co-eternal, separate one from the other. For them to believe that, then consequently, they also believe that. God spoke to one and said to him, you go down to the other and you appear unto him. Now, uh, I want you to look with me in Genesis 126. We're going to go back to that verse of scripture here. Again, I'm going to read it to you so we'll know what we're zeroing in on here. Genesis 126. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish, the sea, the fowl, the air, and so forth. That, those things are irrelevant to this, to our subject here. So we're emphasizing here the plural uh, words here, us, our image, and our likeness. Okay. Now, I want you to look at John, two, uh, John 4, uh, 4.24. John 4.24. This is a very simple verse. John 4.24, very simple, one little, just a couple lines. God is a spirit. Everybody said a. He did not say God is spirits or God are spirits. God is a spirit. Look at this closely now. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now notice that spirit is little. That He must worship him in spirit. In, that means you've got to worship him spiritually let me say this folks before i go any further here this verse is saying that when we worship god we worship him lively worshiping god in spirit means lively it means worship him lively and in truth praise the lord i threw that in for free (laughs) amen so god is a spirit but i'm getting back to the part god is a spirit a spirit now Stay with me. If God the Father, I'm going back to that Trinity concept. If God was three persons, and God the Father said to God the Son, go down into the world. He spoke to him. God the Father spoke to the God. God. It's one spirit speaking to another spirit, Right? So God the Spirit would be talking to God the Spirit of the Son. God, because it says God is a spirit. But man is more than just a spirit. Man is body, soul, and spirit. Praise the Lord. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.23. I'm going someplace with this, so stay with me. We're, we talked about John 4.24. God is a spirit. Man was not made a spirit. He was made body, soul, and spirit. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 
5.23. And I'll just read it to you here. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus. And Paul here is writing concerning uh, the people here. He said, your, your spirit, your soul, and your body. So man has a spirit. Let me say this. Your soul is, is the you. That's who you are. You are the soul. You are a soul. You are the, that's your person. That's your individuality different than anybody else. But you also have a body. That's what we see. We see the body. We don't see the soul. And we don't see the spirit. The spirit is the life to the body and the life to the soul. So the spirit, so your body, soul, and spirit. Now, God is a spirit. And if one spirit had said to the other spirit, let us make man in our image, then man would have been made just a spirit. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Years ago, uh, when I was a young man, uh, I used to go to these quartet singings. They have all night singings for quartets. And it was all Christian people from all different denominational churches. And I was a young, young guy and, and, uh, this is, I started doing this when I was in Bible college and later on I did it after Bible college and later on even when my wife and I got married, uh, we went to these singing sometimes. And what would happen sometimes is that we'd, I'd get bored just singing, singing. And I'd go out in the lobby and hang out. Well, there's other guys hanging out there too, like me, young guys. And we would start discussing scripture. Well, I was apostolic. I was oneness. And they were Trinitarians. And man, we'd get into it. We'd get into discussions. We'd get into these arguments. This is one that I'd always present to them. They'd say, well, what about John? What about Genesis 1, 26? Let us make man our image. I said, then why wasn't man made a spirit? He was made body, soul, and spirit. He was man and spirit. They said, where is that? Where is that? You know, I said, it's in the Bible. You know, and I'll quote the scripture to them and so forth. Well, I'm just trying to say here to you that these things started way back there with me and with many of you as well. Praise the Lord. I am trying to tell you here that man, praise the Lord, is body, soul, and spirit. Therefore, if God had said, let us make man in our image, and he's talking about two spirits there, uh, two spirits, one talking to the other, then man would have had to have been made just a spirit because that's what God is, is he is a spirit. Now. Let me give you the real understanding to it. You ready for that? Now, we're right here in, uh, look in part B here. So how should Genesis one twenty six be understood? Look at Romans 5.14. Here's the answer for you. And then I'm going to give you some information, background for this. John 5.14. I'm sorry, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Romans 5.14. I was looking at John up here. Uh, Romans 5.14. Praise God. I'll get there in a minute myself. Here we are. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. 
even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. He's talking about here now about Adam. Remember that because when God said, let us make man our image, he's talking about making Adam. You understand what I'm saying? Now, this verse of Scripture is talking about Adam. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them which had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who, referring to Adam, who is the figure of him that was to come. So Adam was made in the figure or the image of Jesus who was yet to come. So when God said, let us make man in our image, he was referring to Jesus Christ who was yet to come, who was the image by which he made all things. I told you you're going to have to keep both feet in and keep your bonnet on. In other words, Jesus, praise the Lord, was the image by which all things were made. You don't say, well, Brother Byron, wherever you're going. Yeah, stay with me. I want to show you some information now. I want you to look with me in uh, Colossians 1.14. Colossians 1.14. This is speaking of Jesus Christ here. Five, I'll read 5.14. In whom we have re- redemption through his blood, speaking of Jesus, even the forgiveness of sins. Look at the 15th verse. Who is the image of the invisible God, Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Whoa, wait a minute, Brother Myers. Jesus was the firstborn. Yes, what it says here, right? Firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created. Jesus was the pattern by which God made everything in this world. Even 2,000 years before, 4,000 years before Jesus was even born. He was God's plan by which everything in this world was made and established by Jesus Christ. You still with me? All right. I'm reading here. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him, as a pattern now... Not only as a creator, but as a pattern. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, for Jesus, the man Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. And he is before all things. Jesus was not before all things. He was born of Mary. It, it, zero date, you know, B.C. is backwards, A.D. forward. Around zero there, actually around 4 B.C., they say he was actually born. And, and it says that all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things. How could he be before all things? In God's divine plan. So Jesus Christ was with God. He was in God's plan. He was the Logos, he was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the word Word is not only the spoken word. Logos does not is, is a Greek word. It does not only mean a spoken word. It also means the thought word or the conceived word. And so, therefore, 
And I know we're plowing deep. I know that. But I'm showing you here the truth in these things here. I'm going to give you more scripture in a moment. But Jesus Christ was before all things in God's divine plan. So that all things were made. The heavens, the air that you and I breathe. Boy, it's perfect air. It's perfect. I don't mean maybe if you go in in, in the wrong store or wrong place. But I'm talking about... Just go outside and breathe, breathe the air. It's not all oxygen. It's some oxygen, hydrogen, you know, it's got all kinds of chemical stuff in it. But it's the right combination for us to breathe. The water, fresh water, is the right kind of liquid to put in our body. It's perfect. The ground grows the food that we eat. The ground is perfect for going what we need to put in our bodies. Everything was made, everything was made, praise the Lord, by man as a pattern. But the man was the man, Christ Jesus. And even Adam, whenever God made Adam, he made Adam in the image of him who was yet to come. Jesus Christ was the pattern for it all. Praise the Lord. Now, you see, Brother Myers, that sounds pretty good, you know. Let me give you another verse of scripture here. Look at, let's look at Corinthians 4 4. 2 Corinthians 4 4. It says, In whom the gods of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who, speaking of Christ, is the image of God. Christ was the image of God. Let us make man in our image. Christ is the image of God. You understand what I'm saying here? So as let us make man in who, who is the image of God should shine unto them. So here's another scripture here simply stating that, uh, that uh, Jesus was the image of God. I'll go to another verse of scripture here. I'm uh, going over to... Hebrews uh, 1 3. Hebrews 1 3. That's the next verse right here. Hebrews 1 3. Praise God. It says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, speaking of God here, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by all himself purged our sins, set down the right hand of the majesty on high. Emphasizing here the first part of that third verse, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Now, what I'm simply trying to point out to you here is that Jesus, praise the Lord, was the the image of God by which God referred to in Genesis when let us make man in our image. Now, here is uh, this is a this is a. this is an old chart of mine here, what called timeline chart. And I've got it in color as well. This is just a, simply a black and white one. This is the Old Testament, 4,000 years. From Adam here, you see Adam, and to Calvary, which is where Christ was. The church age, the rapture's going to take place, tribulation period, Armageddon, millennium. White throne judgment, so forth. I won't get into all of that. What I do want to show you here is one that I've sort of messed up a little bit. 
but I've done it so I can emphasize what I want to talk to you about. That's the same chart. Now, here's Adam. Here is the Old Testament, 4,000 years. And this is the birth of Christ right about in here. Now, the Bible says that God is a spirit. And God, way back there in the beginning of time, made Adam in the image of him who was yet to come, Jesus, who came and was born here. So, uh, the man Christ Jesus himself was the pattern by which God, so when he said, let us make man, he was including Jesus Christ. You look forward, 4,000 years, let us make man in our image. Now, let me take you to another beautiful point on that. Everybody still with me? Because he's still working on us. There's a little song the children used to sing in Sunday school. He's still working on me. Because whenever God made Adam, Adam was made of the earth earthly. And from the earth he came, to earth he would return. But in Jesus Christ, we can have a heavenly body. We can have life after this life. Are you still with me? All right. I know I told you you're going to have to hang on to your bonnet and get your feet in and buckle your seatbelt. This is going to be, this is, this is some, but this is the depth that the Bible has in scripture sometimes that I think that is absolutely just awesome. I, I'm going to go to this next verse here that I want to point out to you. And, uh, if you look with me here in, uh, Look in part C. Let us make man. Jesus is still working on us. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. In other words, when the Lord said, let us make man in our image, he made Adam right there and there. But Jesus Christ, when he would eventually come, would finish working on us, finish making us to be ready for eternity. So I'm going to give you these verses here. And... Uh, if you look with me, 1 Corinthians. Praise God. All right. We're on time. Look in 1521. For since by man came death, that's through Adam, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. That's through Jesus Christ. So Adam, the first man, Amen. Was just that that would be of this earth. But Jesus Christ is going to finish working on us and making us. Let us, God made Adam the flesh. Let us make man, that is Jesus Christ included. Let us make man in our image. And so it goes on to say here, verse 21. For since by man came death, by man came also came the resurrection of the dead. That's Jesus. For as in Adam all die. Even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. That's the rest of us. Jesus is the firstfruits of the resurrection. He's the first one. But we'll have our time in the resurrection if we walk with God, serve the Lord, and we're faithful to the Lord in this life. Folks, let me just say one thing here before I go any further. If you're not saved, get saved. Repent of your sins, be baptized in Jesus' name, which the Bible says, washing away your sins, 
and then be filled with his spirit. Let God fill you with the Holy Ghost. And then walk with God and serve the Lord. Oh, I know the devil will come around, yak, 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 yak. He'll try to pull you out and do this. Forget it. Say, get behind me, devil. I'm going to walk with God. That's why we go to church. That's why we go to church and worship God and praise the Lord and glorify God. Don't go to church and do your cell phone. Don't go to church and balance your checkbook. Am I, I hope I haven't, I'm talking to nobody here. Don't go to church and do all them little petty things. Go to church and worship the Lord. I'm serious. Praise the Lord. And worship him in spirit and in truth. Praise the Lord. Spiritually. Praise God. Hallelujah. Got Bible for it. Now, let me move on a little bit further. I'm going to finish reading here. We're in 1 Corinthians here, chapter 15. Look in verse 49. And as we have borne, verse 49, as we have borne the image of the earthly, that's Adam, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. So what I'm trying to say here is Genesis 1.26 has a lot of depth to it. Let us make man in our image. And our image was God, not only in the Old Testament making Adam, but it was the image of Jesus Christ, the man that would come and by which all things were made after him and everything else would follow. Praise the Lord. Jesus, that's why Jesus is referred to in so many scriptures as the beginning, the first fruits, the, the beginning of God's creation and so forth. Now, I've got just about just a few minutes to talk to you about this. I'm going to switch subjects here now on this Genesis 126. I want to go to this one here on part three here. The father sent the son into the world. This is another one they'll say sometimes. Well, the father sent the son into the world. God said to the son, you go down. Okay. Now, let's go to that verse of scripture here. I'm going to read it to you. John 3:17. And read you a couple of scriptures where it says that. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Okay, well, that's wonderful. That's good. But the implication here that's made by some people is that God said to the son, you go down, down there in the world there where all those people are, and you save them. Okay? And that's so God did that. Let me give you another verse that sort of goes along with that same view of it. John, uh, John ten thirty six. Am I on? Am I on right here? Yeah, John ten thirty six. Say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified, and sent into the world. Thou blasphemest because I said I am the Son of God. Now I won't go any further, but it goes on to say verse thirty eight. But if I do, though ye believe me not, believe the works that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and, and I in him. But notice here where it says the Father sent the Son into the world. Now, I'm going to give you the real simple explanation for that. Everybody ready for it? Look at the next, next set of scriptures here. See John 17, 18. This is how God sent Jesus into the world, then I'm going to prove it to you. 1718. As thou hast sent me into the world, this is Jesus praying now in the garden. 
As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. Whoa. Now, Jesus was not sending those disciples from heaven down into the world. But he says, as you, Father, because in that very first verse of chapter 17, it goes on to say, he says, Father, the hour, my hour has come. The hour has come. So whenever he said that it was not the Father saying to the Son, go down into the world, but it was the Spirit in him sending him out into the world, that is, into, the, into humanity. And so this verse tells us, and he says, as thou, Father, hast sent me into the world, as you have sent me, even so have I also sent them, the disciples, into the world. In other words, the Spirit sends, sent the Son into the world, not up there down, but here out. You understand what I'm saying? And he's saying, just like the Father sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. Folks, this is good. This is good. Because you'd be surprised how many people think that God was up there and said, Son, you go down. And they say, Boy, he didn't go down himself. He sent the Son down. You know, he's a, you know they think God's separate persons or something. And the Father's separate from the Son. But it wasn't. But the Spirit sent the Son. Amen. Uh, let me give you another verse of scripture. Look in 2021. We're in John still. Look in 2021. You've been a good audience tonight. Then said Jesus to them, Again, peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you into the world. As my Father sent me, so I send you. And then finally... Uh, in 20 and 21, I believe it is. 21 in this, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 1. Go back to 1 real quick. Chapter 1 in John. Back to John 1. Okay. And this is, it says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. <laughs> That's John the Baptist. You say, Brother Myers, why are you using that? I'm just telling you here that the word sent from God or sent by God can mean out into the world. So we know that John, the Baptist, was not sent down from heaven, but he was sent out into the world. So just as the Father sent the Son. Now, I'm going to use this little simple illustration here. Uh, but a ship is sent across the old sail ship, like the Columbus had three sail ships that came across the Atlantic Ocean and discovered America, right? 1492. Now, those ships sailed on the waters by the wind. They were sail ships. They had no motors. They had no power in them except the wind that went, that pushed them. The wind sent the ship across the ocean, but it also went with the ship. You understand what I'm saying? Because the wind was in the ship, not inside the case, but in the sails. So as the wind sent the ship across the ocean or out into the sea, wherever it would go, but the wind went with the ship, just as God sent the sun, he went with the sun. You understand what I'm saying here? Just as... 
God Almighty, the Spirit, praise the Lord, sent the Son. He also went with the Son so that wherever Jesus was, the Spirit was with him because the Spirit was in him and him in the Spirit. Now, I'm going to give you a wrap-up verse of Scripture here, and we're going to conclude our lesson here. Look at John 14, 9 and 11. Most of you know this one, I think, pretty well by heart. Praise the Lord. Yeah, okay. I was looking at another verse of Scripture, but I won't read that one. Okay, look at this one in in, uh, John 14 and 9. If you don't have this marked in your Bible, make sure you do. This is Jesus. And... uh, Verse 8, John, Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father and it satisfies us. Because he kept talking about the Father. Jesus said, verse 9, Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Look at verse 10. Now look at this closely now. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. This is so plain, and so it, it, it lines up with all the Old Testament scriptures. God says, I am one, there's none other beside me. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Praise the Lord. So the Lord God Almighty was in Christ. Now, one other little example here, and I've used this before, and you've heard it, I'm sure, many times from me here, but nowhere else. If all the lights were out in this room and there was one bulb up here, one bulb, and it had a light in it, all right, that bulb was Big enough, bright enough, and it just lit up this whole room. This room would be filled with light. And the bulb would be in the light because the room's full of light, right? So just as the bulb was in the room, the room's full of light, the light's in the bulb. The light is in the bulb. And the light goes out from the bulb and fills up the room. And therefore, the bulb is in the light. You understand? The light is in the bulb, the bulb is in the light. Jesus said, just as I'm, the Father's in me, so also am I in him. I in him. And you know what? Spiritually speaking, we have the Lord, praise the Lord, on our side. The Lord is in us in the Holy Ghost. But we are in him. Sometimes when we just worship and praise the Lord and you feel the glory of God all around. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Folks, this is the greatest thing that God ever sent to the world, is, is the moving of his spirit. His, this is why blaspheming the Holy Ghost is such a terrible thing, because it's God putting himself in human, into man. Jesus Christ was perfect, but we're not perfect, but yet God has put his Holy Spirit in us. Praise the Lord, that we might walk with him, serve him, know him. 
have that fellowship with him, have the peace that we can have in him, the love we can have in him that helps us to love everybody else or love our neighbors as ourselves and do all the things that the Bible requires us to do and to be what he requ- it requires us to be. It's all because of the Spirit of God that can be in us. It's a wonderful thing to know the Lord and to know that God is just one, but he's also chosen to let us be part of that wonderful plan that he has divine, divinely made for all of us. Let's stand together and just give God the praise and glory and let's thank him. You've been a great audience here tonight. Oh, Lord, we love you. We thank you. We magnify your wonderful name, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, your word, oh God, is past finding out. Oh, Lord, Jesus, thank you for your people. They that love the Lord with all their heart. Give us, God, that wonderful inspiration from the almighty God to live for you, walk with you, serve you, Lord, with all of our heart. Because we know you're coming soon. You're coming back for your people in Jesus' name. And everybody said, praise the Lord. Lord. God bless you. You're dismissing his name. Amen.